Hello there. Welcome to season four, episode 31 of the Still Becoming podcast. And I have another really special interview for you today. I've been so blessed by the women who have come on the show, both this season, season four, and also in season three. Each one is so different, but they are all out there doing their very best to follow hard after Jesus and minister to the women within their sphere of influence. It's been inspirational for me, and I hope it's been equally as inspirational for you too. I've heard back from some of you, and it's been really encouraging. So today I want to introduce you to a dear one, just a dear one. Her name is Stephanie Roussel, and there would be no Still Becoming podcast without Stephanie. Because a little over two years ago, I attended the Speak Up Conference in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You've heard me mention this before because I've met many of this, these women there. And Stephanie was offering a workshop, a three-hour workshop on how to start a podcast. And this 60-something woman went to the three-hour class. And at the end of it, I was equipped to go home and begin the Still Becoming podcast. So I took the class in July and by October, the very beginning of October, Still Becoming was launched. So I just want to publicly thank Stephanie for her generosity and teaching a bunch of us how to do this and her presence in my life. I, I love her ministry. I love what she's doing. And she's just near and dear to me. And I can't wait to introduce you to her. Here's what you need to know about Stephanie Roussel. She's the founder of Gospel Spice Ministries. Her motto is, God's glory, our delight. She thrives on Bible-centered, inspirational writing and speaking and dark chocolate. She knows herself too well to take herself seriously. Born and raised in France, she has lived for her one, capital O-N-E, the Lord, over the last two decades on three continents, four countries, and five cities through six professional roles. She is a wife, mom, podcaster, public speaker, Bible teacher, former women's ministry director, and strategy consultant. And she is 100% French. And that's just one of the things I love about her. She loves sharing nuances taken from the French and English languages and cultures to experience the New Testament from the inside out. She has quoted her favorite words more times than she can count, first to herself and her children, and then also in settings as diverse as Bible studies conferences, podcasts, and more. Quote, there's nothing you can do for God to love you more, and there's nothing you can do for God to love you less. Her favorite verse and passion is Philippians 3.10, for my determined purpose is to know Christ through the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Stephanie has a unique story, and I really couldn't wait to bring it to you today. It so inspired me. From French atheism to biblical Christianity, Stephanie was an intellectual atheist who became convinced of the historical truth of the resurrection. She was raised in an atheist home, and as she will say, a committed atheist home. And through a series of events that you will love hearing about, she became a follower of Christ. She became convinced of the truth of the resurrection. Stephanie's deepest desire is for us to taste and see that the Lord is good, and she'll teach us how to spice up our relationship with God so that we can be salt and light in the world. Friends, will you welcome to the podcast, Stephanie Roussel. Hi there, friends. Welcome to the Still Becoming podcast, a place where women like you and me find help to move from where you are to where you want to be. I'm your host, Laura Acuna. The Still Becoming podcast is where we gather to rethink our thinking about ourselves, our lives, and about our God. We will learn to reframe our shame and trade in limiting beliefs for the liberating truth from God's Word. And why the title Still Becoming? Because that's the Christian journey, isn't it? As we apply God's perfect Word to our lives for growth and change, we are always growing, always learning, and still becoming the women he created us to be. It's never perfect, and it's not too late. Do I need to say that again? It is never perfect, and it is not too late. I am so glad you're here for the journey, and I'm praying 
that God will speak directly to you through today's episode. Are you ready? Let's go. Stephanie Roussel, thank you so much for coming on the Still Becoming podcast. I am truly, you know how excited I am to have you here today. Well, that makes two of us. I've really been looking forward to this. Well, let's dive right in. Let's not waste any time because I want my listeners to have a lot of time to get to know you. So I'd love for you to start with your story growing up in the Bordeaux region of France, your life, how you came to Christ, and share whatever it is that's on your heart that you want us to know. Oh, Laura, you're adorable. I just love you so much. So yeah, I, I'm French, as you are hearing very quickly from my accent that I've been trying to shed for 30 years, but that's never going to happen. And I'm okay no, with no, it no. at this point. Yeah, the things we it. learn, you know, and I grew up in a very typical middle-class French family, very strong atheist intellectual family. So we would discuss a lot of philosophies and ideas, and we were very good at dissing anything that the wasn't promoting atheism. I'm saying this with a, obviously a grain of salt and a bit of humor, but truly by the age of, I would say 14, 15, I had definitely decided that atheism was the way to go. So I hadn't just drank the Kool-Aid in my surrounding environment. I really had adopted it for myself. So uh, reading all the atheist classics and authors. And then one thing the the French school system did not teach us very well was English. And I really wanted to be in business and I knew I needed to learn English. And I just had a bit of a travel bug. So I ended up doing my senior year of high school in the US uh, with a foreign exchange program where I spent the entire year living with an American family, learning English and going to an American high school. This was almost 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago. And so this is all pre-internet, pre-emails. So I got one weekly phone call with my parents once a week, and that was it. So living with an American family, coming from a highly dysfunctional French family, like I said. So atheism wasn't the worst of our dysfunctions, if I may uh-huh. say. My dad was a strong alcoholic womanizer, went bankrupt several times, had affairs. My parents were divorced at that point. So lots of lots of hurt. And so coming into this American family, I had been told via one of their letters that they were Christians. And I was okay with that because I had this idea that America was this at least nominally Christian country. And so I wasn't surprised and I was totally fine with them. I was picturing them going to church for Christmas, Easter, that kind of thing. You know, I didn't imagine that anyone could have a faith that would actually affect their daily lives. It just wasn't in my realm of comprehension at the time. I move in with them and they're just absolutely adorable. They are probably the first not dysfunctional family I ever really interacted with. I mean, they weren't perfect by any means, but they would do crazy things like argue, which I had seen plenty of, but then reconcile. Imagine that. I had never (laughs) seen that happen. Or they would, you know, at the time they had three very young children. And so they would raise their children with forgiveness and love and just a gentle authority that was so foreign to anything I had ever experienced. And when you grew up, you kind of think your family is normal. At least I did. And then I realized, oh, maybe not so. And then, okay, they just really, the contrast was rather quite drastic. And they very quickly made it very clear that it wasn't in their own strength, but it was because of their relationship with God in Christ. So their gentleness, their kindness, also their intelligence, we would have really lengthy philosophical conversations, led me to really be curious about their faith. Long story short, I ended up coming to faith through them at the end of my year in the States and was literally still dripping wet from baptism when I flew back home to France a year later as a baby Christian, where uh, I went to college, met a handsome young man who at the time was a Muslim, came to faith. We became uh, married. We've been married uh, over 25 years now. And yeah, that's kind of how the, the story started for me. And I have never really looked back on what Jesus offered me. For me, coming from atheism, the greatest hurdle, I would say, was that it was very difficult for me once I became intellectually aware of the truth of the resurrection. I'm one of those people that the resurrection converted. Like the, the historical facts of the resurrection were inescapable, irresistible, unavoidable because of the fact that God had wired me with a measure of intellectual integrity that prevented me from ignoring what I had discovered to be intellectually true. I just couldn't bury my head in the sand. It just wasn't an option for me. And so once I became aware of that, I knew I had to do something uh, because someone who raises from the dead deserves, come on, five minutes of your attention, right? I mean, <laughs> come on. And so 
at least. <laughs> at least no joke, seriously, right? And, and actually what happened for me was a bit more than that. But the problem I had with that is that at least in my 17-year-old mind, the proof of the divinity of Christ through the resurrection did not settle for me the question of God's trustworthiness mm. as a father. And again, major father wounds here. And so it was very difficult for me to throw myself all in with God as a trustworthy father. That was really my biggest hurdle. And so he really proved trustworthy and reliable. And we can talk about that some more if you want about like what really led me to choose to trust him. But my point is God comes to us and heals the wounds that are specific to us. For me, it was father's father wounds. It was, you know, trust issues, major trust issues. And so he meets us where we are and there's nothing we bring to the table. And, and 30 years later, that's still my, my MO with him. It's like, I bring nothing to the table, but I trust him. And, and, you know, all those years in, I would say probably my most favorite expression to describe God is he is his tender fatherliness towards me. And that's a complete 180 considering my journey initially. And, And honestly, it's such a testimony to his goodness, his, his thoughtfulness towards each one of us. And so whatever the wounds we have, he knows about them intimately and he addresses them. So I hope that's an encouragement to anyone listening who's battling some wounds because he knows about your wound and he is very intent on addressing it, probably even more than you are because wounds hurt and he knows. He's pursuing you and he's not letting you go until that wound replaced by something about him that's going to become your greatest treasure. Beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I want you, I do want to talk about how you learned to trust him, but first I want you to tell us what happened when you went home as a Christian to your French family? Man, <laughs> uh, well, my parents were divorced. My mom thought it was a phase that I was going to grow out of, that I had been just kind of influenced by that American Christian family, that I would grow out of it. Uh, it's been 30 years. I think she's figured out by now I'm not growing out of it. <laughs> um, my dad, that was a different story. He was extremely angry with me because this he really took this as a personal betrayal. Because again, he was such a fierce atheist. I think he has very deep father wounds and that, you know, he just didn't want to have anything to do with faith. And so it led to, my my father passed away a few years ago, but it led to really, honestly, a very difficult relationship for the 25 years that we interacted after that and um, where there was so much hurt and he basically disavowed me and completely Mm. rejected me and eventually really refused any form of communication. But the beauty in that is that God has taught me so much about, again, his own tender fatherliness towards me through that and really got me to a place where I, not only had I forgiven my father, but I saw his own wounds Mm -hmm. and God allowed me to have a lot of compassion towards him and to sincerely, genuinely pray for him and love on him when he was honestly rather quite unlovable because he was rather, he. I don't know if you know the book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That was kind of mm-hmm. my father. He turned into Mr. Hyde and, and there was no going back. And so God allowed me to love him to the end, really, like literally. And and that's probably one of the greatest gifts God has given me. That's beautiful. As far as the rest of my family, like to this day, no one in my family believes. So you can pray for them. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's just a thing where you have to trust the Lord because, I mean, I can tell you, I've been praying hard for them for over 30 years now. and None of them believe, but the story's not over. That's right. I trust so much his tender fatherliness. I mean, I love what you said about his very specific, this very specific way he comes for us. And it's so true. I mean, it's such a beautiful picture of you, the way you're wired with your, with your intellect, with your commitment to truth and all it, but he knows that. And so he came in and specifically ministered to you and wooed you in to him through how you're wired and how he made you. And that's true for each one of us. That's such an encouragement for all of us. We're not all going to come to him the same way and he's not going to come to us the same way. And that's why we need one another because you're going to tell me things about him that I don't know because I'm not wired the way you are. So I'm going to discover him through your eyes 
Mm. And you're going to discover him through my eyes and we're going to grow together as a result. That's why we need the community of believers too. And, you know, when Psalm 139 says that he wove us in our mother's womb and he intimately knows our days from the beginning, I think that's what it's saying. It's like, he knows exactly how he made you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what's going to make you come to him. That's even, you know, before you're born. So like even before any wound comes into play, but then the wounds of life, he addresses so tenderly. And it's taught me to then, I think, I honestly was not a very compassionate person growing up. I was, because I was raised in a philosophy that was a very dog eat dog sort of world. So Mm -hmm. I was a very hard person because it's a survival game, right? And to survive, you have to be strong and it's the, you know, survival of the fittest kind of thing. So I grew up with a very hard shell. I was honestly a rather quite mean and hard person. Um, and, and my dad, unfortunately, was kind of like that for a bit longer. But, but God has given me such compassion and such a tender heart for those of us who carry wounds, which is all of us, really. Mm. I don't know how it's possible, Laura. Maybe you can tell me. But like my wounds have become some of my greatest treasures because they've led me to him. Absolutely. And I wouldn't trade it for the world, right? Yes. If that's what it takes for... Because God is ultimately the one who breaks us and he allows those wounds to take place because he knows what he knows what needs to be broken. And I'm not talking, I mean, there's some horrific abuse happening. Like we work with organizations that fight human trafficking with my ministry. So I'm very aware that not all wounds are meant to, to right. him. But but yes. at the same time, he is so powerful, so tender, so so thoughtful, so sovereign that he really literally will use anything. If he can use my wounds to lead me to him, he can use anything. That leads me to have compassion for the wounds of others because I want them drawing near to him as well. I just have really a passion to see God's people draw near to him because that's what he's allowed me to do. And it's my greatest pleasure, right? To draw near to him. It's hard to imagine you not being a compassionate, warm, inviting person because that's how I know you. And you exude that. I mean, it just oozes out of you just talking to well, you. That's, um, that's, that's only, thank you. And it's all him. I take no credit for that. And actually it's interesting because growing up, you know, I think it's one of the problems with our families of origin is that they remember how you were, not necessarily how you are, especially if you're not living. I literally live a continent away and an ocean away from them. Right. So it's not like we have a whole lot of interactions on a daily basis. And they still remember me the way I was when I was 15 or 20 years old, which yeah, wasn't necessarily the most flattering <laughs> version yes. of me. And so it's it's hard for them to imagine that, to, to truly believe that God has changed me. And again, I take, I literally, Laura, take no credit. It's all him and much in spite of me, believe you me. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful picture. And again, it comes back to, we believe our wounds disqualify us from serving him. And it's actually the wounds that qualify us because others need to see that they don't need perfect cookie cutter Christians. They need people who've been through some things with the Lord and can testify to his faithfulness and his goodness. How can we help one another through the fire if we haven't walked through it ourselves, right? Exactly. I need you to have walked through the fire so that when I walk through a fire, you can help me through it. Because if you have never walked through a fire, how are you going to help me? I'm not, I can't trust you if you don't know what you know, what I'm going through. And so your wounds are one of the biggest reasons why I can trust you actually counterintuitively, right? Not the other way. Exactly. And it makes you safe. And then I feel safe. And then I can share my wounds with you. And together we can discover the Lord together is in community. Yeah, I love because it. we're the body of Christ. And if you are wounded, then I'm wounded too. And we, you know, we want to heal together. There truly is. I am so, as I get older, I am just so intrigued and curious and drawn to the depth of meaning of the fact that we are the body of Christ. I feel I've only scratched the surface of it in the last 30 years of digging into that. And I am so excited to discover the fullness of what it means. And I do believe that our wounds play a big role in that. Actually, it's interesting because even at a cell level, cellular level, when our wounds heal, they heal in a way that connects the cells, the healthy cells that are beyond the wound in a way that they weren't connected before. So there's actually mm. a physical connectedness to that our wounds create beyond just the, the healing. So there's all sorts of like, I, I think we've only scratched the surface of what it means to be the body of Christ. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, after you got married, you traveled around, you worked 
around the world, correct? Where did you live? And then how did you end up back in the U.S.? Right. So my husband and I like to say we've spent the last two decades on three continents, four countries and five cities through six professional roles. Wow. So we moved around a bit. We lived in France. Then we lived in North Africa for almost a decade. Then we lived in the south of the U.S. Then we lived in the U.K. for some time in London. And then we moved to where we currently are, just outside of Philadelphia, not pretty far from you, really. This was eight years ago. So, and we have two children. They're now in college. So we're in the empty nesting phase of life and um, it's just been lovely. So what was your experience like to come back to the United States? Oh girl, it was something. So, (laughs) you know, I like to describe our, my initial experience in the U.S. as Narnia, to be honest. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it really, you know, because we, I was again with this American family and they were a part of this very vibrant little church that grew into a mega church, by the way, because that's how amazing they were. But like at the time, it was a rather small church, very vibrant Christian community, just lovely, 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 lovely 30 years ago. And so we would come back sometimes when we lived all over the world. My husband and I and our kids would sometimes come and spend some vacation time with my American mom and dad, as I call them. We would go back to this little bubble of kind of mini Christian heaven kind of thing, right? And so when we moved to the States eight years ago, I kind of thought that that I mean, I knew better, but I kind of thought that's what the U.S. were like and that we were stepping into Narnia for ourselves and we were moving into Narnia and what could be more exciting. Uh, we literally thought that, you know, flying a plane into the U.S. was the world robe. Like it, we, we used to joke about <laughs> that. We used to literally joke about that. God led me within. I've always had a passion to come alongside women in particular in ministry, I, I, I'd, I'd ask him for a while. I, I wanted to be in full-time ministry. I've been teaching scripture for like 25 years, but I wanted to do it full-time. And he opened that door where within literally two weeks of moving to the U.S., we didn't have a house yet. We didn't have a church yet. We had moved from my husband's job. My kids were literally like in their first week of school, right? Like completely new. And we're visiting a church with some friends who, who are there. And from the pulpit, the pastor is saying that the women's director is leaving because her husband got a job out of state and they're hiring someone. And I have my best friend on my left, my husband on my right, both elbowing me and saying, that's your job. And I'm like, yeah, right. Well, sure enough, I get hired before we have a house before. So this obviously becomes our home church. I don't know a single soul in that church. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I just moved to Narnia and we're going to do ministry together with these amazing women. And it's going to be phenomenal. And it was all of those things. And a lot of the women in that church were so much on fire for God. It was so beautiful. And I loved them to pieces. But then some weren't. Mm -hmm. It was so disheartening for me to see that a lot of the women who, and maybe especially the ones who weren't so involved in women's ministry, the ones on the periphery, maybe more, were just really couldn't find their faith exciting. They would say that it was tasteless and boring and that it, was flavorless. And it made me so sad because I'm French. I love good food and I like things to have a lot of flavor. And so it just kind of hit home for me that God has planted me in this little community of phenomenal women who are so eager to discover more of the Lord, but they don't really have that fire. And, And God, I mean, if you think of it this way, I've seen God literally use people, use dreams and vision to lead people to him. I've seen this, especially in North Africa and the Middle East, but I have seen him for me use just regular people, American Christians who are on fire for Jesus. And so he can use anyone or anything. But for me, again, because he's very specific in our own journeys and using our own stories to then allow us to step into the world. Well, for me, because it was just, plain regular people, I feel this debt of gratitude to plain regular American Christians until, you know, for for all the days that I'm stateside, my passion is to bring a little bit of the fire back to the very people who gave it to me in the first place. That is beautiful. So I'm here to, as much as the Lord would allow me, to encourage, uh, especially American women, but but men too, my, my ministry reaches to men as well. But especially women, I think, because I'm a woman, I know what it's like, right? To remember to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when you taste something, it's a very intimate experience. You cannot taste from a distance. Mm. 
when I taste chocolate, I can't, I mean, imagine you've never had really high quality, dark French chocolate. I can describe it to you for a while. I can use a lot of words to describe really good French chocolate to you. But there's going to come a point where, you know, beyond me telling you about the flavors and the textures and all of those things, you're going to have to take a bite. You cannot say that you've experienced chocolate until you've actually tasted it. It's a very intimate experience, but no relationship with chocolate is possible without it, right? And the relationship with chocolate is a very important thing in life. You can quote me on that. I'm in agreement with you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And so I think that's the thing is like, how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? How is his goodness truly something we've tasted to the point of digesting it where it becomes a part of who we are? The food we eat is what makes up ourselves and what actually heals our wounds, right? So it's all connected. And so how is the goodness of the Lord the way that's going to, by tasting it and digesting it and it becoming the very marrow of my being, how is that going to heal my wounds by restoring my spiritual cells, if you will? And so tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and moving from a life where you know that scripture should be exciting. You know that, you know, your prayer life should be kind of the highlight of your day, but let's be honest, it's not. You open your Bible and it feels stale and boring and it's like eating dirt. Or, you know, you go to church and your pastor has another sermon on, I don't know, some well-known classics, the Sermon on the Mount, or, you know, what can you, what else can you possibly learn about Moses or Abraham or Joseph? Like seriously, right? If you've been to church your whole life, and it's like, oh my goodness. And you roll your eyes and, and that's it. Well, I'm sorry. There's so much more that awaits you. Let's be committed to making your faith spicy and exciting and flavorful again. And so that's what I love to do. I love it. I love it so much. I mean, I just keep thinking that you as a French woman have been sent to America to evangelize the American church. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I would. I think that's a stretch. I honestly, that's very kind of you to say that, Laura. And, you know, I don't know what the Lord has, but I wouldn't exactly put it that way. I think it's more, and we were talking before you and I started recording about the mm-hmm. importance of stewarding well. And, mm. and I think it's, I think it comes down to stewardship. God has given me much. He's given me life and healing from wounds and an ongoing relationship with him that is the apple of my eye. And to whom much is given of them, much is required. And so I feel that stewardship very strongly. And again, because of the specificity of his story writing in each one of us, as the author of my story, he has woven into me a deep gratitude towards American Christians. I think that's all there is to it. Like I wouldn't, you know, over-spiritualize that. But anything I can do, and, and, and again, like my ministry and my audience, just like yours, uh, we have a very global audience. So it's not just Americans, but that doesn't matter. It's largely Western Christians or people who have, again, they've identified that they don't want to keep on going with that stale spiritual life, but they don't know how to go about it. They've yes. identified that as the problem, but like, how do you change that? Well, and I would say, spiritually speaking, it's because maybe, you know, you're always reaching for the same spiritual spice rack. Like if you're always reaching for all-purpose garlic salt to flavor all of your dishes, well, all of your dishes are always going to taste of nothing but all-purpose garlic salt, which is fine. I love all-purpose garlic salt, but not on everything. Right. <laughs> you can diversify a little bit. And we've forgotten, you know, in scripture, in our prayer lives, in our interactions as the body of believers, we have forgotten to reach for the cumin, the cilantro of scripture. We, we just keep going to the same spices instead of mixing things up. And so, uh, yes, because I love to cook and because I've lived in the different, all sorts of cultures and different foods, I think food is really important. I think Jesus would agree with that. And therefore, I think we can, spiritually speaking, realize that, I mean, Jesus truly is our nourishment. And if scripture really, the word of God truly is our nourishment, then how are we letting that nourishment actually transform us? I don't know if you know this or not, but life coaching is the second most growing profession in the United States. We probably can thank COVID for that because so many people came out of that experience wanting change. And that might be you. Are you in a transition? Have the kids left home? Are you thinking about retirement, but you can't make sense of how you are going to be fulfilled and serving God well in the next chapter of your life? If any of this resonates with you, life coaching may be your next right step. Let's find out. Head on over to my webpage, go to the coaching tab and fill out the free discovery call form. 
I'd love to encourage you as you embark on your next chapter, helping you uncover your God-given potential, deepen your faith, and build confidence and authenticity. Although every client has their own unique story, my prayer and my goal for each client is that her life will blossom with purpose and faith and ultimately be overflowing with joy. You know, while you're talking, you're making me think of principle that I've learned over the years in in church leadership and so on. And that is when people have too many choices, they don't make any choice because it's too overwhelming. And in America, we are so blessed. I mean, we can listen to any pastor we want to at any time online. We have access to teaching and videos and books and courses and on and on and on. And yet the places in our world where the gospel is on fire, they do not have those choices. Amen. Yes. What do you what do you think about that? Um, I think it creates a dependence on the Lord as opposed to a dependence on ourselves. And I do believe that having so much choice is wonderful. The problem is it's often paralyzing, right? Mm-hmm. When you have too many options, you don't know what to do. I mean, even children, if you give, if you put them in front of 10 options, they're not going to know what to choose. If you give them two choices, that's much easier. It's like a very simple parenting thing, right? Right. So I think that your abundance of choice is a massive blessing. I think it also comes with stewardship again. And I'll go back mm. to the stewardship of it. How do we steward the choices that we have? Because we, I mean, think of it this way, Laura, we may have 10,000 choices, but we still only have 24 hours in a day. Mm. Everyone has 24 hours in a day. We do not have a choice with how many hours we have in the day. We do have a choice how we use that time. So I think maybe the difference is that it's a stewarding of our time that is better. And same thing with the number of days in our lives. We don't know how many days we have, but we know it's finite and today could be our last. So how do we steward that? And it's not so much the choices that we make as, am I really choosing the Lord with my moments? And then what are the voices that are influencing in a season? So what are the voices that are speaking into where God has me right now? I think that's a matter of prayer. Mm. Uh, because too many choices, I think it's like, okay, Lord, help me choose because I cannot taste everything. I cannot do everything. But what would you have me do, Lord? And so it goes back to, I think, a vibrant prayer life. And so I would encourage the women who are into this, who are maybe feeling overwhelmed with the, the buffet. I mean, all-inclusive buffet is an American concept. Let me tell you that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you're describing, right? Like an all-inclusive buffet. Well, you can't, when you go, you know, if you've ever been to like, you know, those all, all inclusive vacation resorts where like you go and this hotel has so much food and everything for a weekend or something, you're not going to eat everything. You're not even going to taste everything. You have to be intentional. Actually, choice requires discipline. And so how are you going to be word. <laughs> to choose what is good for you as a, and you can indulge. I mean, come on, chocolate girl, you know, but <laughs> But let's, yeah, so so I think with choices come the added responsibility of discipline and stewardship. So you come back to America and you discover that there is a section of women that you're encountering regularly and you're serving, even if they're not coming to women's ministry, that are, their faith is stale and they're reporting this to you. They're being honest and saying, you know, this blah, you know. So tell me what happened with you. As a result of that, I know it led to Gospel Spice Ministries. So tell us that how that evolved and 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 what Gospel Spice Ministry is doing in that regard. And, and that group, that group of women to this day are some of my favoriteest women in the whole mm-hmm. world, right? So mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that the Lord planted me in the midst of them. They are a loving, delightful community. What happened was that so I ended up leaving that church uh, around COVID time for a host of reasons, and. I had started Gospel Spice as a small podcast on the side because the Lord has given me this fire to teach scripture. And and again, it's not something I take for granted. It's just a, a mix of all the ways he has wired me. And he has just allowed me the ability to teach scripture in a way that, um, and I still don't understand the recipe exactly. If you ask me how I do it, I'm not exactly sure, but I've been told countless times that the way the Lord allows me to teach scripture just really makes it come to life. And so that's where like somehow, um, maybe it's the fact that I've lived in so many different cultures that I'm not an American. So I don't enter scripture from an American perspective, American culture. I really believe that culture shapes up so much more than we realize. I like to say that fish doesn't know what water is. (laughs) You know, you have to be taken out of your own culture in order to understand what you've been swimming in. And that's a big problem in the American culture right now. And we could have a whole conversation about how 
it's not going down a good path, but that's a, you know, another conversation maybe. But the fact that I grew up in an atheist culture and a friend culture, and then I lived in all these cultures, I've experienced scripture through the lens of all these different cultures. And so I think it just gives me maybe a different take. And because I wasn't raised in the church, I don't know, just the way the God, the Lord allowed me to approach scripture seems to be kind of refreshing for an American Christian woman. And so teaching is something that I've been wanting to do more because I am desperate to get people excited about scripture again, Mm. in case you haven't heard that yet. Like (laughs) it can be so exciting. It can truly be the height of your day. Your time of prayer with the Lord can be the most extreme experience of, of joy and delight and intimacy and relationship, but you have to cultivate that. And so I want to invite you to do that. And so gospel spice is born out of that desire to bring the spice back, the spice of the gospel back in your relationship with God. And so the Lord has allowed us to grow over the last three or four years and to just have a podcast. We do online Bible studies, we do courses, we do events. And it's just been a blessing to see women and men just come to a deeper delight of God. My personal motto is God's glory, our delight, because I'm convinced that to delight in God is the essential calling of the Christian life. And actually, one of the ways I love to do is to, to take French and explain it to you, even if you don't speak French at all. So for example, that word delight, I just use God's glory, our delight. Sometimes in French, we have several words for one word in English, but sometimes in English, you have several words for one word in French. And delight here is the case. In French, the word delight is translated delice, but delice in French also means delicious. So delight and deliciousness in French is the same word. So taste and see that the Lord is good indeed, because in French, God is both delightful and delicious. Love it. (laughs) So ponder that and you'll realize like there's, okay, there's a lot to chew on, no pun intended. And so like... (laughs) I intend to make scripture more delightful and delicious if possible, because you want to taste and see that the Lord is good. So yeah, sorry, I'm rambling a bit, but that's, that's no. the gist of what I'm just so eager, so desiring for anyone listening right now to be encouraged to pursue a life of delight in God, because I promise you it's possible. You know, Laura, right? I do. I do. And we both share a deep urgency and a deep commitment to helping women come alive in Christ, to return to your first love if you've lost the fire, to come to Christ for the first time if you don't know him, and to trust him with what path he's going to take you on, how he's going to come to you, how you're going to respond. And I don't know, I feel like, it, at least in my environment, there's a lot of going from church to church to church, trying to find the right place and the right message. And, and then we get dissatisfied, and then we're like, oh, I can't be here. And we again, so many choices. Personal revival happens in your house. It happens in your backyard or on a vacation, or I don't know. It doesn't in your own heart is where in it your happens. Own, well, right? absolutely good one. Perfect. So, so that's, said. It's it's in your heart. And so regardless of circumstances. And so yeah, I mean, we left that particular church and we actually joined a new church recently. And it's not so much what the church is or who the church is, it's about is that church leading you deeper into intimacy with God? But actually, you know what? The church could, your particular body of believers could be leading you into that. But if your heart isn't ready and willing to take it, then it's not going to happen and vice versa. You could be in a church setting that isn't necessarily the most vibrant, but if you are, what if you were the one to start that for your church? You know, So I think external circumstances are secondary to your internal heart motivation. And so if you are desiring a personal revival, a, a deeper experience of delight in God, it's yours for the taking. You just go and ask him. And if this intrigues you or you're curious about this, ask the Lord about it. Say, I'm realizing my faith isn't as vibrant and, and spicy as I want it to be. I want to taste and see that you are good, Lord. Um, do you think he's not going to honor that prayer? Of course he is. He's going to do somersaults of joy that you're asking yes. for this. And I'm not saying he's going to deliver tomorrow morning, but he's going to deliver. I can promise you that. And he's going to blow your spiritual taste buds away. Like it's going <laughs> to be amazing. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm saying it's going to be delightful. There's a difference. Yes. And also I'm thinking as you're talking that our healing, our personal revival, all these things, they're not just for us. They're not, it begins with us, but it's for the lost and hurting world. It's for them. And we need you. We need you. 
Steph and I were talking before we came on, you know, I have a, a real passion for older women not checking out now and helping the younger women keep the faith because mm -hmm. they're challenged right now. And we're heading into craziness again in our country. We need to be strong and, and we need that fire. The desire to come alongside the younger generation is naturally going to be the outcome of a deepened passion for God. Mm -hmm. So cultivate mm -hmm. your own delight in God. And I think you're going to find that it becomes inescapable. Like you're going to want to talk about it. You're going to want mm -hmm. to tell others. You're going to discover a fresh passion for reaching whatever people around you God has for you. So I would say cultivate the, the curiosity you have about a more deeply delighted life and then see what happens. But yes, absolutely. I think you're going to find, you know, no spoiler alert here, but the natural outcome is going to be, you're going to want to tell others. You're going to want to okay. equip others. You, you can't help yourself. I mean, come on. Once you've tasted the chocolate, you know, you want to share it with others. Don't keep it all to yourself. You're going to want to share it. C.S. Lewis says that praise is not complete until it's shared. And that's oh. why we praise God, right? Like if I see a beautiful sunset, I'm going to want to share it with my kids and my husband and my loved ones. If I have a beautiful chocolate cake, I'm not going to stuff it down by myself. There's something very sad about that. I'm going to want to share it. Well, how much more God? So when we praise God, it's not because he is a tyrant who wants our praise. It's because it's good for us. Like it, it does our heart good. Praise is not complete until it's shared. And I think once you delight in God, your delight of him is not going to be complete until you share it. And you tell others. So it's going to be, you know, spoiler alert, that's what's going to happen. Like if you <laughs> enter into a life of intentional delight in God, you're going to want to tell others. And what could be more beautiful? And then in turn, your fire is fanned by the people that you're sharing. Yeah. Yeah. The gospel. Jordan, you, you don't want to start by saying, oh, I need to share with others because it's my duty. I think that's yes. never going to, well, it wouldn't motivate me. But again, it's like, I'm going to tell the people I love of something I've discovered. Uh, you can't help it. Again, you can't help it. Like there's a new French patisserie that opened in my little town. Like I'm literally telling everyone about it. I'm not keeping it to myself. And so that's just the way it's going to be, you know, but I had to go try the French patisserie first. I wasn't going to recommend it until I made sure it was just right. And it is. So in the same way, you taste and see that the Lord is good for yourself. And then you invite others to taste and see that he is good for them too. I love it. I love it so much. I love that you are a European woman serving in the United States. I do. I love that because you're right. You have a completely different perspective than those of us who've lived here our whole lives and haven't ventured too far away from home. It's important. And, and vice versa. Like I want to learn from you. And because again, it takes all of us. And so you mm. have so much to teach me about being grounded and, and rooted in a place and in a community because I have never really had that. I've never been anywhere more than eight or 10 years in my life. And so that's a different profile, but we need one another. We do. We absolutely do. So Stephanie, I would love for you. I, I my, my listeners know that I'm going to ask this question of every guest who's on the show this season. What is God teaching you as you grow older and where's the grace in aging for you? Oh, such a good question. So I would say just this sense of being settled in who I am. I've stopped trying to figure out who I am and look to others to maybe give me hints of who I am. I've learned to look to God and to my wounds and to the stories that the wounds he's healed and he's still healing. So just this I'm content with who I am more than I've ever been. And I've stopped fighting to be someone I wish I were as opposed to who God made me to be. And I think there's just a deep contentment and joy in like a very humble, in a very humble way, girl, because, you know, there's a million other people I'd rather be in so many ways, people I admire and stuff, but there's a humility in being content with who I am. And I love that. There's just a subtleness and a joy and a freedom. Okay, from this place of knowing who I am in Christ to be able to step out and, and come alongside others. And I have a almost 20-year-old daughter and it's my joy to watch her grow into the young woman she's becoming. And I'm thinking, well, that's how God is watching me. Mm. You know, he's watching me become the woman he created me to be too. Just like I see my daughter become, I, I see so much potential in her, right? And so I, I love that. I think just the, the settled sense of who I am in his eyes and the delight that comes from, again, his tender fatherliness. I can't shake it. Uh, so 
I value humility because I used to be such a proud, arrogant, self-centered, uncompassionate person. So humility really matters a lot to me. And the fact that he's allowing my heart, my circumstances to grow me into someone who's more humble really matters a lot to me. And I think, again, humility in a sense of who we are in Christ or together, humility is a really good thing. I think humility is a proper assessment of who we really are. It's mm-hmm. not a groveling sort of thing. It's not, right. oh, uh, it's not being a doormat. Actually, I'm, I'm a very strong woman and humility and strength actually go together because it, true humility is knowing who you are and being content in the, in the strength of who you are. And that's, um, that's what I'm learning from the Lord. And I can't wait for what, you know, the next season of my life holds, even though, you know, my body isn't what it used to be. And there's <laughs> aches and pains that I really do not wish on anyone, but, but that's okay. You know, and I need to go to the eye doctor because my eyes are not doing what they used to do, you know, and all those things. But, but seriously, who cares? Wrinkles and, and cellulite and, and bad eyesight are all part of the testimony of all the wisdom we've accumulated. You know, that's beautiful. And you're talking about being your true self and women who are comfortable in their own skin, make it safe for other women to be comfortable in their own skin. Oh, amen. <laughs> and, uh, yes. and, right. And then together, I mean, this is a beautiful picture. I mean, you know, we, we long to be with people who are real and who are settled and they make it safe for us to be that way too. Yeah. And it's the opposite of pretense or pretending or being discontent with where you are today versus where you wish you were. So I think discontent is gone. Like I don't have, I don't have time for discontent. There's so many bigger, better things. Like why would I look to what others have or are that I am not or do not have where God has given me my lot and it is such a beautiful like my the boundaries have fallen for me in beautiful places right it really is true and i think that's true of us regardless of whatever problems we have in life especially honestly in the first world we you know we we have real problems but we also have incredible blessings and so again the sense of stewardship to his name his glory and so you know the lord's prayer when we pray you know that your name would be glorified that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And, you know, it says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I think on earth as it is in heaven qualifies all three. May your name be glorified on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. And how am I a part of that? Uh, May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And how am I a part of that? Then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how am I a part of that? God's name, kingdom, and will are perfectly manifested in heaven? How are we manifesting his name, his kingdom, and his will on earth? That's our mission. And we we can't be distracted by the inconsequential things that distracted us when we were 20 or 30. Come on, we know better. Let's, we do let's, know better. Let's, let's live like we actually, let's live to the level of what we actually know. Yes. And what we say we believe. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Stephanie, you are delightful and delicious. <laughs> And contagious. <laughs> it takes one to know one, Laura. <laughs> you really are. You really are. I am so grateful that you come on today. I know my listeners are going to love you if they don't know you already. Many of them, I'm sure, already do. We're going to have every place you can find Stephanie in the show notes, but I want you to tell us what's new for Gospel Spice right now. What would you like us to know before you pray us out? Yeah. Again, we're finishing uh, for a couple more months where the series on the podcast right now is titled Jesus, Rabbi, and Lord. And I'm inviting you to experience the gospel of Matthew from a first century Jewish perspective. And I think it's a little different from what you've experienced. And you might find a thing or two that make your faith faith a little more spicy and delicious through that series. And we're launching courses and Bible studies. So I recommend that. We launched in January a study in the footsteps of Jesus. I was in Israel last year, and so I'm inviting you to experience Israel through my eyes in the footsteps of Jesus. And people have said that it's been the next best thing to a trip to Israel. So maybe that could be a good way to enter the spring uh, this year. So, And also with everything going on over there, it just exactly. it helps us understand. Yeah. Right. And also the fact that so many trips have been canceled. So if yes. you had been hoping to go to Israel in 2024 or, you know, you've been, but it's been a while. Well, this is a virtual trip there. It's probably as good as it's going to get for a while. So enjoy that, you know. Thank you. All right. Would you pray us out? Oh, I would be my honor. Truly. Thank you. Oh, our precious 
King, our delightful Father, would you give each and every precious woman here with us today the subtle sense of your delight in her. Your delight of her beckon her into being intrigued in what it could be like to delight in you in ways that are maybe a little different. Would you woo her to ask you who she is in you? Would you allow her the privilege to see herself through your eyes, the wounds and the scars, the beauty and the potential? Only you can do that. We cannot do that for ourselves. Would you give every single person with us today your vision for what you want for us collectively as your body? This group of women, everyone here right now, Invite us to taste and see that you are good so that we can tell others, invite them to taste and see your goodness as well. Would you send us out in the power of your spirit? And I would love to end with the words that my pastor says every Sunday um, as we end church. He says, life is short and we do not have too much time to gladden the hearts of those who travel with us. Mm. So be quick to love and make haste to be kind. May this be said of us, precious King, in your glorious, beautiful name. May your name, your kingdom, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Stephanie today. And you know, while we were talking, especially about blandness in our faith and how she has such a desire to spice up the faith of all the the people who listen to her podcast, who are involved with her ministry and her sphere of influence. A quote by Jen Wilkin that I recently came across and I added it to my message, Walking It, Shining the Light Along the Way, popped into my head and I wanna read it to you. Jen Wilkin, when women grow increasingly lax in their pursuit of Bible literacy, everyone in their circle of influence is affected. Rather than acting as salt and light, We become bland contributions to the environments we inhabit and shape, indistinguishable from those who have never been changed by the gospel. Wow, that is convicting, isn't it? And I would add, as Stephanie emphasized, prayer, 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 and more prayer. I feel the Lord really impressing that upon me as well. And based on some of the conversations that I've had in this podcast, and then also among women who are in the same type of ministry I'm in, Uh, who are called to similar things, I feel a revival coming on and I want to be a part of it, don't you? I want to be a part of unifying the body of Christ and of us strengthening our faith. And that comes from not only hearing the Word of God and reading the Word of God, digesting the Word of God, but applying it to our lives for growth and change and then a deep prayer life. We're going to need it in this year that's coming up. But we're not alone. We're all in this together. Now, don't forget to read the show notes for this episode where I'll include all the links for Stephanie Roussel and Gospel Spice Ministries, along with ways that you can contact me as well. And before you go, will you please hit follow or subscribe on the page that you're listening from? And also, will you please tell a friend? Subscribing, rating, and telling a friend are all the ways that help get the message of the Still Becoming podcast out to the women who need it most. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again. I'll see you next time on the Still Becoming podcast.